Welcome to the Addy Hour, where we talk brain science, mental health, faith, culture, and social justice. Having attended one of Dr. Addy's town halls, I can tell you that it's vital information for anyone living in America right now. It was the first time in a very, very long time where I felt like all of me could show up, each parts of my identity. I'm your host, Dr. Nee Addy. My friend, Dr. Nee Addy, is such a unique person who is both scientifically astute, understands the human soul and the mind. At the same time, he has compassion and empathy for the masses. He's been nothing but a blessing to my congregations and my friends. It was the first time I felt like it was safe to talk about issues that are usually not talked about, like mental health and faith and wrestling with your identity. By the end, I walked out feeling so much more validated and hopeful. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Addy Hour. It's my pleasure to continue to host these conversations. I've definitely been appreciative of the engagement of all of you as listeners. And today I'm very excited to be able to host a conversation on justice, activism, and the church with Reverend Dr. Otis Moss III. Dr. Moss, thanks so much for being here on the Addy Hour podcast. It is my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Of course. And we have had the, the uh, opportunity to interact previously. Dr. Moss and I were part of a provocative panel back in September um, of 22 entitled, Is Christianity Bad for Your Mental Health? So you can just imagine some of the conversations that came up there, um, but really excited to be able to interact again in this way. And just by way of introduction, for those who may not be familiar with Dr. Moss, want to just let you know that he is a senior pastor of Trinity United Church of Christ in Chicago, Illinois. He is a preacher, an activist, and an author. And also, over the last two decades, he's someone who has practiced and preached a Black theology that unapologetically calls attentions to the problems of mass incarceration, environmental justice, and economic inequality. He is a native of Cleveland, Ohio, an honors graduate of Morehouse College. He also has a Master's of Divinity from the Yale Divinity School, so home turf in a sense for me, um, and a Doctorate of Ministry from Chicago Theological Seminary. He is currently a professor at the McAfee School of Theology at Mercer University. And he is someone who is a third-generation warrior for civil and human rights. He's committed to preaching a prophetic message of love and justice, which he believes are inseparable companions that form the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I should also mention this is a legacy for him, both personally and in terms of his family. He's been heavily influenced and has a foundation from his father, Dr. Otis Moss Jr., and also from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., whom his father worked with at one point as well. So again, just to give you all just a little bit of insight, I know we'll hear more, but just appreciate the work that you continue to do and your willingness to be here for this podcast conversation. Thank you. I'm honored. Excellent. And as my listeners know, one of the benefits of these conversations is we have a lot of guests who are just generous with their openness and being willing to peel back the layers, as it were. So I wanted to just do a check-in and see how you're doing at this point in time with everything that we're experiencing as a society, and especially soberingly with just all the challenges around gun violence, both the mass shootings that seem to be happening on a weekly basis, and all the other gun violence that does not get that same national mm -hmm. attention. So just if you're willing to share how you're doing at this point. 
I appreciate that. Um, right now, I am. It, it, I use the word okay when you say mm. the scale of one to ten. Uh, that usually means like five. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. in the middle, um, mm-hmm. I, I received a call that one of our our deacons actually uh, found his younger brother uh, who had uh, committed suicide mm. uh, by 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 hanging, unfortunately. Oh wow! And uh, he found the body. And oh my goodness! Just a uh, just devastating and right before getting on this podcast Mm. uh, one of our members just just sent us a text that uh, she went to the hospital uh, to see her father she her father was 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 at assisted living place but they never called her to share that uh, he was being transferred to the hospital she gets to the hospital no one had called her no one said anything and her father's gone wow and uh you know, just, uh, you know, the weight of, you know, those two, two, two people mm-hmm. that walking with them, uh, as they are preparing for, for home goings, mm-hmm. uh, and one, how should I say it? One who had lived a beautiful long life and, and then, one where uh you know you have a family that's with as it is with with suicide uh you raise questions and trying to walk with the family and let them know that uh this is not punishment your your loved one is loved by god and Mm -hmm. god's arm all of that Mm -hmm. without all of the noise and trash that seep into our subconscious because we have such horrific uh, pastoral care and just bad theology and just Mm -hmm. bad public civic conversation Mm -hmm. about people who just really are looking for individuals to, to, to support them and to walk with them and love them. Exactly. Well, so I'm at a five. I'm at yeah. a five. I'm at a five. Yeah. Just doing what you know, what what you do in in in, in the black church is yeah. trying to you know to walk with people in in their most vulnerable moments. Yeah, well, definitely appreciate your level of honesty just in talking about where you are at this point in time. And I know that a lot of listeners, you know, especially those who have experience or are in the black church, can relate to that piece as well. But some listeners might also even feel surprised to hear you say that you're you're at a five with that level of heaviness that you often have to walk through. Um, but you, you know, you touched on so many important pieces in terms of meeting people where they're at, but then just all the noise that can come as well. Um, just to, just to maybe even peel back a little bit more even before we jump into some of the other topics, how do you as a pastor and a faith leader navigate that for those that you are ministering to with all the noise, trying to help them navigate, but then also trying to make sure that it's, framed in the, in the right way, both for them, for their families, for the church, for society? And I know that's a very large question, but just curious, anything well, about that? I think on a personal level, it is important that you are grounded in community, mm-hmm. your own community. I'm not talking about, quote unquote, just the church community, because for those who are pastors, you're probably listening to that the, the most difficult thing is pastors need to be pastored. Pastors need to mm-hmm community in which they are uh, uh, nurtured and cared so that they can be 
good caregivers, uh, especially during moments of, of vulnerability uh, and challenge. And so being in a community, there's your family, and then there are people that are around you that uh, support you. So that's that's one of, of the things. And then having the uh, appropriate spiritual practices for, for yourself, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the time of, of silence, you know, mindfulness, prayer, uh, music for me has always been very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a spiritual practice, uh, listening to and spending time just listening to music that puts you in a particular place mm-hmm. and reading, uh, reading scripture. Uh, I'm going through a, a book right now uh, called the, uh, the, the Teaching of Christian Mystics. Uh, mm. basically. And so what I do is I read out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, because reading out loud changes things, number one. Number two, most of what we read that is ancient was never meant to be read in your head. Mm. This is oral transmission. So why do we become so modern and say, mm. I'm read this in my head? But when you read uh, out loud, all of a sudden, the the phrasing, the, 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 the voice, uh, the pause catches you in a different way than when you read something in your head. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm encouraging, I teach and I encourage my students to say, before you even um, go to a scripture and you're going to start trying to work on a sermon, I want you to read it out loud and read it out loud in five different translations, Wow, you know, and, and watch what happens just by reading. You're not trying to force anything or mm-hmm. just, just read it. And, it, it becomes a great meditative process and uh, discipline to read out loud and to read because, for example, I'm sorry, I'm talking so long, no, it's <laughs> good. So job, but <laughs> like, if you say the Lord is my shepherd, or do you say the Lord is my shepherd? Or do you say the Lord is my shepherd? Mm. Now all the exact same words, mm-hmm. but based on the the usage of your voice a different meaning comes comes forth and different emotion is is presented that's why reading out loud reading poetry out loud um reading scripture out loud uh and that's why we sing songs out loud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like songs in my head. No, you start reading you know, start singing it. You I mean mm-hmm. it's 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 one thing to to say it in your in your head, but out you know singing it out, mm. singing you know becomes a a powerful a powerful art form. Mm. Wow, that's so powerful and so good. I know people are listening to that and even just reflecting. I mean, even that simple phrase that you are in three different ways, just the power that comes from that. And then you, I mean, you also talked about community, and I know maybe we're getting off script here too. But how do you see those two pieces going together, especially as a pastor? I mean, with things that happen. You know, we, not just in our congregations, but in the world, and as we navigate right. them as communities, uh, I think community is necessary for uh, for human flourishing. We're 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 designed as community creatures. Mm-hmm. You know, we were created in in community mm. uh, to be in community. Genesis talks about uh, humanity being alone. It's not good to be alone. There are times mm-hmm. you need to be alone. 
but we we we're, we we learn in community we are nurtured in community we develop develop in community and when we experience trauma mm. we come out of trauma or learn how to navigate trauma through healthy community mm. and without a healthy community it's not you are not able to flourish Mm-hmm. as as a human being and you're not able to to reach your 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 full potential you need to be in a in a healthy in a healthy community and mm-hmm. when families are unhealthy families are community mm-hmm. uh, it, it it takes a toll on on your soul and you have to place yourself in in a space where you can be in and around healthy people and that's one of the aspects of of the black church mm-hmm. i say the black church specifically that they're in a church there are multiple communities and when you find the space of the appropriate community an intergenerational community mm-hmm. of elders and younger people people who are middle-aged some who are who, who are who are married and some who are not and uh you have this potpourri of people in your garden mm. are providing aspects for for human development and you know it's kind of like just like a regular garden you know some mm-hmm. people like basil uh some people are like mint <laughs> you know you know some people are like rose bushes but got a whole a whole lot of thorns you know mm-hmm. so you know you and you you have to know that they're not all the same and you and and together uh, they they give all of the necessary nutrients spirits mm. for a person to to truly flourish. Mm. That's so wonderful to hear. And you know, my listeners have heard me talk about community in lots of different settings, often bringing up just the biology of what that does in our brains mm-hmm. and the social bodies. So it's so nice to hear from a holistic perspective, just to hear you actually emphasize and talk about community within the church, how mm-hmm. important that is for our soul and all these different pieces together. Um, and how that really helps us navigate. And even as we've talked about things like traumas, as you hinted at, yes, and how people yes. walk through that together as a community, and just the ways that God has designed us to be in community, the ways we can see that show up in our biological changes, the way we can see that in psychological mm-hmm. processes, the way we can see that on a global scale. And again, it just seems in so many ways at the heart of what you are doing in your roles, even as I think about what you've talked about in terms of mental health, but also some of the social justice work, thinking about criminal injustices, um, just the activism and the family history that you have. How, how does that aspect of community for you, what does that actually look like across all of these different spectrums? Because again, people you know might be hearing about and saying, well, you're, you're touching on so many different components and how do you tie those all together? That's an interesting question. Um... How do we tie them all together? Well, for, for, for me, I was, was raised in a, in a space that believed that the, the black community mm-hmm. is varied and diverse. Mm. And it is also your responsibility, not only to be a part of, but to ensure that this community is thriving. Mm. Uh, so be a part and and thriving. So there's you know there's kind of the the the, the church 
you know, community. There's um, what I would call like for those who've gone to HBCUs, mm -hmm. you know, there's another community that develops mm -hmm. as a result of that. If you went to a PWI, uh, you've created your own little community you know, on, on, on that level. Then there are the community that you have at your, your work. Then there's the family community. Then there's the community of friends, mm -hmm. uh, friends that you've developed as a child, grew up with, friends that you have connected with uh, during your adulting process, which is mm -hmm. some is called college, or if you're, you know, you're an apprentice program or whatever it may be, or yep. military. And then there are friends that develop as a result of common trauma and tragedy that mm -hmm. you end up developing relationships with. And, and then there are the people that you, a person that you choose to be your life partner. Mm -hmm. That I would hope would be your best would be your best friend, you know mm -hmm. that, that you should go down that uh, down that down that road. Mm -hmm. uh, all of those communities make the fullness of who mm -hmm. we are. And all of those communities um, have their uh, uh, north star and also have, moments where the the stars are obscured and mm -hmm. they get off course mm -hmm. all of those communities that's 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 just a part if you dare to claim to be human and you seek to live your call you will you will deal with those those issues mm -hmm. um, but all these aspects of community though uh, make up who you are and make up who who are we see as our wider community mm -hmm. um and, and I'm, you know, speaking, you know, from, from the perspective of someone who is out of the African-American community mm -hmm. and uh, there's some very unique aspects to our community. I mean, just like barbershop community, you mm -hmm. know, I mean, I mean that I like going to the barbershop mm -hmm. and that community of people, usually brothers, especially when they, you know, start arguing about sports and, <laughs> and start lying about other stuff. There's something mm -hmm. that's, that's very endearing. Yeah. <laughs> about being in that space. Mm -hmm. and there's something stress relieving about being in that space as someone, you know, they're cutting your hair, mm -hmm. you know, you get the hookup, you know, with, with the cut and whatnot, and you get mm -hmm. to, you know, to argue or hear a whole bunch of ridiculous <laughs> theories about the world. Yeah. Uh, there's no other space where people get a chance to um, communicate, uh, lie, promote uh <laughs> it's all there <laughs> it's, it's, it's everything it's, it's everything in, in in those spaces um you know it's 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 similar to when you know people gather together and they play spades or, mm -hmm. or something of that nature you you have that that level of energy sometimes you know you know uh, comes about yeah and some su surprises that aren't surprises in terms of the things that come out of people's mouths, but it's oh healthy too. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, it's fascinating. It's, it's just, it's, it's the best comedy mm. in the world mm -hmm. is, is in the barbershop because you have mm. some of the best storytellers and mm, they're telling definitely. stories yeah. uh, that are absolutely not true. And everybody knows it, <laughs> but we still want to hear the story mm -hmm. no matter what, because they're such a good storyteller. Yep. Yep. I mean, even not to make it too academic all of a sudden, but I know there's a lot of initiatives just even 
using that space and all the benefits of it yeah. to actually help people open up about mental health challenges because that's, that's right. a lot of that's the first point of contact for a lot of people so that be able to be equipped in that way to notice something mm-hmm. to touch on it in a space right. where it's already that sense of community is, has been really important in a lot of communities just for really pushing that conversation forward yeah chicago we, we have a couple of members here who were part of uh public health initiatives um where they were using the barbershop for the public health initiative for you know people getting checked getting tested all of that but also mm-hmm. for mental health check-in and now there is a, an initiative and around uh barbershop books mm. placing in barbershops books for young people they can take them you know there's there's no cost to them mm-hmm. you know they said hey you can take it and you, you know it's kind of like read and return mm-hmm. uh and so there's been this new movement around literacy in connection to barbershops mm. literacy and mental health i think also go yeah. directly together mm-hmm. you give people spaces where they are able to 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 read and to imagine and to rethink and to see themselves in spaces that they never would normally think of themselves and that's mm. one of the powers i think of afrofuturism yeah the the idea of seeing black people in a variety of ways, yeah. Um, yeah. not, uh, I read an article years ago, it's called the documentary, the documentary impulse in black film. And you know, I was kind of like, well, what is this article? What is this about? And I started reading, I was like, oh, I get it. The writer was saying that for everybody else, when we write something or something is presented, we get to say it's fiction, but for black people, no matter even if it's just mm. run of the mill, it's like, oh yeah, this is really like a documentary because this is the way black people are. Mm. We don't even get to play. Mm. <laughs> we don't even wow. get to fantasize mm. because we're always told, no, it has to be real. Mm. Uh, and that's the beauty of Afrofuturism is that it allows us to, to expand our imagination. And one of the most mm-hmm. dangerous things is to have a colonized imagination that, that, that limits your ability to be able yeah. to. Uh, witness what you can be or what your community can be. Yeah, well, that's so so important. I'm glad you're bringing that up. And this reminds me of a lot of the work that you're already doing just in terms of astrofuturism, but then also the power of community to change narratives. I mean, as you were talking about with literacy as with mental health. Um, and I know you as a church have done a lot of work around that, even from individuals who are formerly incarcerated and how you've been changing the narrative there as well. So I'd be curious if you'd just be willing to talk about that a little bit for our listeners to know, to hear about some of those innovative things that you're doing to really shift perspective, expectation, um, and opportunity. Well, one of the things that that we, we, well, let me just begin this way, that there are three pillars to any type of community development work we you know, we do here at Trinity. And we've done a lot of community mm-hmm. development work, and I'll explain a little bit more about community development work. But the three pillars are economic development, uh, that in other words, our community must benefit. Mm. The second pillar is that it must be sustainable. It must be, it must be green. Mm. Um, and, uh, and so there must be some sustainability, must be a green initiative. And then the third pillar is it must disrupt the mass incarceration system. Mm. So, so it's, it has to have those reasons. So we've got to benefit from it. Mm. It's got to be green and it's got to disrupt. So I like to say that is 
it's got to be it's got to be blessed by black folk and black folk got to be blessed by it. Mm. It's got to be green uh, in terms of things that were going to flow into our pockets, into our bank. Mm. And it's also got to bind the wounds of the blood mm. been shed uh, as a result of 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 mass incarceration. So I'd like to say it's it's it's, it's red, black and green, you know, mm. to, to borrow from Marcus Garvey. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but what we did uh, one of our first initiatives, we renovated our church and we renovated the church green, mm. uh, green stand. We want to make a, a LEED certified mm-hmm. uh, building. In doing that, we said, one, the contractors must be black. Mm. Two, those working on this building must be people who come from the mass incarceration system. Mm. Three, it, it has to be green. And this was kind of a challenge because most people who were bidding and things of like that, said, we've never done this before. It wasn't yeah. like, work with us. This is the way it works. Mm-hmm. Like, we, we, we are the primary contract. You're a subcontractor. Mm. So this is the way we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we, we, we created and, and built a re, you know, renovated our church in that manner. Mm-hmm. And then at one of our next projects, there is a library literally down the street, walk mm-hmm. distance from our church, has the largest collection of African-American literature in the Midwest. It's called mm-hmm. the Carter G. Woodson Library, mm-hmm. uh, the Vivian Harsh Collection. I mean, they have letters of Du Bois sent to mm-hmm. uh, people in, in Chicago. I mean, it's primary resources. If you're doing your PhD at University of Chicago, University of Illinois, DePaul, you have to use this library. But it's in the hood. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's in our hood. Yep. We have a great hood, by the way. Um, and so the building had scaffolding around it, not because the city was doing work, but the original contractor did a poor job and they were worried that the bricks were going to fall on the heads of people walking into the library. Wow. And the scaffolding had been out there for 20 years. So people got used to it. Wow. Our Community Development Corporation just raised the question. It's like, why is there scaffolding outside of the building? No one had raised the question. It's like, well, that's when we found the story. Wow. And we organized with the community, when I say organize with the community, other community partners, other organizations, block clubs, you name it. And we found out that the library is heavily used, people love it, but is falling apart. Mm-hmm. So we were going to the city and saying, hey, we want you to, to renovate the library. And we already did our research. There were five other libraries that were either built new from the ground up or renovated, uh, million dollar renovations, mm-hmm. like five, 10, 15, and $20 million renovations. Wow. And they came back to us. They said, oh, we, we don't have the money. I said, well, you had the money in every white mm-hmm. neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> but you didn't have the money in the black neighborhood. Mm. Uh, so after this initial meeting, uh, at the very end of the meeting, I just simply asked one question. I said, when's your next library meeting? The library commission meeting. And like, oh, they meet once a month. on like, it was Wednesday, I think. And I said, thank you very much. And uh, unbeknownst to them, what I did was the next Sunday, I got up in the pulpit and Mm -hmm. I shared with the congregation, you know, what had happened. And I said, there's a library commission meeting coming up on said date. We'd love it if you would would show up to express the importance of a library in the community. Mm. Now, one must understand that library commission meetings, nobody goes to (laughs) unless you're into the Dewey Decimal System. <laughs> no one goes to a library commission meeting. So on this library commission meeting, which are perfunctory, they're boring. You know, mm-hmm. they go on for all of about 50 minutes and they, you know, they go away. They said, Hey, yeah. you know, we're going to hire another librarian or something. And this library commission meeting, 
all of these black people show up from the community. I mean, and everybody has the same question. I wasn't at the meeting. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're asking us, so you built five of the libraries, but mm-hmm. you don't have the money for, for the Carter G. Woodson. Please let that name mm-hmm. sit. Named after one of the greatest historian intellectuals. The reason that we have Black History Month, mm-hmm. a Black History Week that was started by Carter G. Woodson. Um, you know, the miseducation of the Negro, Carter mm-hmm. G. Woodson. And so the the meeting ended at like, let's say 759, I think it was. I got a call at 801. Wow. And they're saying, can we meet, you know, as soon as possible? I was like, mm. sure, I'd be more than happy to meet with you. And so our team met with the, the library commission and they walk in, they were smiling and they said, we want you to know, we found $10 million. We got a $10 million grant. That was quick. That was <laughs> quick. Wasn't that really quick? Uh, <laughs> oh, to rebuild the library, to, to, to renovate the library. I was like, oh, that's 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 really wonderful. So I want you to know that all of your, your concerns have been taken care of. We said, no. I said, first of all, will Black people benefit from it? Who will be the contractors? Mm. Second thing is, will it be a green design? Third, will you use brothers and sisters from the mass incarceration system to mm-hmm. do work? And they looked dumbfounded and said, well, there's, there, there, there's no policy to, to do that. We've never done anything like that before. Mm-hmm. That, would, that would cost a lot. That would incre- you know, they, they're just using cost as an, yeah. as an issue. Yeah. And so we just said back to them, they said, our church did it. Said, if a church that doesn't have the budget of a city, mm-hmm. cities have billions of dollars, mm-hmm. is able to do this. Mm-hmm. Why can't the city, long story short, they ended up using the same principles mm-hmm. that we used. And I would invite anyone who comes to Chicago to see this crown jewel library now. The mm-hmm. Carter Woodson Library is astonishing. It is one of the only libraries in the city of Chicago that specializes in Alzheimer's and dementia. So if mm-hmm. you're a giver, you can go to this library. Wow. They have a studio in this library they have an amazing children's section in this library. Mm. There is an auditorium in this library. You can have wow. shows in this library. It is truly a crown jewel. And on top of that, you have the largest collection of mm. African American literature in the Midwest mm. and smack dab on in the heart of the South Side in mm. the community. And, and that's part of the kind of development mm. When I say community development mm-hmm. is, is putting, making sure that there is an institution uh, that everyone can utilize. Mm. And the library is, is one of those spaces that nobody argues about. And you, know, you, don't, you don't have, well, well, down in Florida, they're arguing about what's in the library. Yeah. The store. Um, but usually libraries are the one community space that just about everybody can agree on that we want to make sure that it's functioning well. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, I mean, just transformative in so many ways. And just to know that you all held your ground. I mean, there was a lot of uh, wisdom <laughs> in that negotiation process, how we call it, but just showing the importance of community as well. I mean, you touched on sustainability. How has that played out both in the library and then what you all are doing just in the community in general? Oh, it's been been, been awesome. So the, the next phase for the Community Development Corporation, they started purchasing homes in the neighborhood uh, that were on the um, what you would call the part of the Cook County Land Bank. Uh, they mm. uh, 
tax delinquent homes. Mm-hmm. And you, you may get a home for 10,000. I mean, they're, they're falling apart, you know, 10,000, $15,000. Mm-hmm. And we had a um, developer uh, who was part of the church and he wanted to develop the homes so that they would look like um, they did in the suburbs, mm-hmm. high end, high end, high end uh, development. Uh, but we would not sell them at anywhere at the cost that they would mm. uh, uh, valued at. And there was a reason. So let's say with the renovation, they, they take, a, we get a home, five, 10, 15, $30,000, whatever it may be. And after everything is done, it's valued at say 175. Mm-hmm. We sell it at 110, 105 or 95. Mm. Why? Because you walk in with equity. Mm-hmm. So the moment you buy your home, you walk in with equity and all of the kind of internal appointments uh, of the home, you know, the, the, the kitchen, the, mm. the lighting, um, you know, the, the whole nine, uh, the way that the heating and air and cooling system is done would be on the same level if you drove to one of the well-off suburbs. Mm. So using the same framing. So when the down to, uh, downturn happens, you know, you, you've got equity in your home. Mm. And if you need, because one of the ways that, that black people make money in terms of wealth, mm. past wealth is we've really done that, you know, through home ownership. Mm-hmm. So you've already walking in, you've got $25,000, $75,000 worth of equity. Mm. That's only going to increase mm-hmm. in 15, 20 years. Then you pass it on to your children mm. and it does not become a burden. It becomes an asset. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about, you know, the, the idea of, of wealth building. Mm. So we start purchasing these homes and then something else happened, which we're dealing with now. Then speculators, these companies saw what we were doing mm. and they started grabbing the homes on the uh, tax delinquent rolls on the, in the land bank. Oh my goodness. And then trying to sell them without not, not even close to any kind of really, I mean, they're still falling apart. Mm. trying to sell them at a higher price or trying to sell them to us. Mm. Oh yeah. We'll, we'll give it to you um, for 80,000. Like, what are you me? This thing was on the rolls for 10. Mm-hmm. It, it's not livable. You can't live in this home. It's, it's falling apart. And, and so we see how capitalism mm-hmm. ends up trying to undermine uh, our community when these speculators come in and are basically just trying to, you know, make a buck. And we found out that all these companies, all these individuals, not a single one of them lives mm. in the city of Chicago. Wow. Wow. That was the one, I mean, that was one of the questions I was going to ask. It just not, I was going to ask about pushback, but this is, I mean, that's a whole nother level of just. It's, 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 an, it's another trying to. Yeah, another kind of yeah. here we have, we're doing community rebuilding. We're doing what mm. we're supposed to do. Mm. We're doing the work. And then you have people literally outside of the community mm. that say, oh, I just want to make a profit mm. of this working class, this middle class mm. community in in Chicago, because there's not going to be anybody that's going to be wow. in the thicket for them. Wow. Um, they got another thing coming, but we still. Yeah. Need- how, how do you maintain your. Uh- your hope and your, your ability to not be jaded. Cause I'm hearing you say this for the first time and all sorts of reactions are coming up inside me. I'm just imagining how you navigate that as a leader and how do you keep people encouraged in the midst well, of that? 
you know, I'm, I know this sounds funny, but uh, I'm not trying to be funny, but I'm black. I mean, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> not true. I mean, I mean, when, when I, I'm, I'm a lover of history and I, mm-hmm. and I, I, I'm, I'm a history nerd. I'm a black history nerd. Mm-hmm. I'm, history, I'm just a nerd in general. Um, but especially history nerd. And it's a good thing. When I, when I, when I, when I read, <laughs> it is, it is nothing wrong. You know, nerds rule the world. In that mm-hmm. way. <laughs> right now. Um, but when I read mm. stories of, of, of Harry Tubman, of, mm-hmm. of Robert Smalls, of mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't have, I don't have the, the right. Could you imagine mm. Mm. Harriet Tubman saying, you know, I'm feeling kind of jaded. I, you know, you know, I, I only got 300 out. Like, you mm. got, you know what you just did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you, you were not only a, a spy, but you were also, you're going back and you're pulling these mm-hmm. out of misery and mm. emancipating them spiritually. I always think that our ancestors are saying to us, mm. you know, Otis, you have all these resources and mm. communities that you can connect with and people you have what your ancestors never had mm. and you don't have the right to be cynical. Mm. You have the right, you can get mad. Mm-hmm. You're the right, you can get ticked off mm-hmm. and you can say the system is rigged, but, but, but you don't, you, all that the being black is, mm. is an act of hope. Mm. Being black is, is, is an act of resistance. Mm. Be, being black in this country means that you are from the descendants of mm. people who refused to to give in to despair mm. and said, "I shall rise up again." And that's one of the beautiful things about the black church. The black church is not the white church and you know black face. You know, we have our own theology. We have a theology that says that speaks about. You know, you know, I, I don't know, um, you know, when, but I know it shall. Mm. <laughs> you know, that mm-hmm. we, we, we have this, it might not come when you want to, you know. But, mm-hmm. but, and this was, these were these acts of resistance. We always place it in this kind of ephemeral frame mm. of, of Black people, just, you know, some type of opioid or something of that nature for mm. the masses, borrowing from, from this, you know, this Marxian idea. But in the reality, we were, we were in the midst of absurdity and uh, tragedy. Mm-hmm. We, were, we were framing, creating the scaffolding for hope. And that hope was not something that was out there. The hope was that I am a child of God, that the mm-hmm. hope was that I have the ability. That's what Frederick Douglass did. He said, this was the most articulate orator in the history of America mm. who never went to school because he, he recognized there was one simple kernel that mm. uh, Howard Thurman says, he said, the moment that enslaved black people recognized that they were loved and they were loved by something greater than what was before them, than resistance, resilience, and revolution was always a part of their spirit. Mm. So well said. I mean, just that perspective. I appreciate you just highlighting that in so many ways. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's just something that we need to talk about more and more and more because it's not, we don't all have 
the Charles G. the Carter G. Woodson Library. Unfortunately, that needs to be replicated. That's, that's, that's right. We, everybody needs a Woodson Library. Really, yeah. every community does. It's it's a great library. Yeah. I mean, have there been conversations? I know you all are focused on, you know, the work in the South Side Chicago, but conversations on ways to expand this to other areas or help replicate, I mean, just with colleagues yeah. that you have in other locations. Yeah. We've been even talking about, you know, maybe the possibility of doing a, uh, a conference because we, it's not just the Woodson Library and what we do. Mm. We have 27 acres that we purchased mm. and we are developing that. And that will be, already has a medical center mm. on the property mm. we're now doing the housing mm. next uh it will eventually have an urban farm a five wow. acre farm and it'll have a hotel uh that we're trying to do using the same three principles again mm -hmm. black folk got a benefit mm -hmm. got to be sustainable and those who are you got to disrupt the mass incarceration system mm -hmm. those three principles always have to be used in the development and we're going to have a healing garden in mm -hmm. part of nature conservancy and so it'll be over the next 10, 15, it's going to take a while to finish yeah. it. But we've got phase one, which was a, and we're not talking about a free clinic. We're talking about primary care, medical facility. And and, and get this, this always trips people out. Uh, it's run by black women. You know, it's mm. four brilliant, uh, four brilliant, and I say it again, brilliant mm. doctors who run this facility. And the facility is uh, through the largest healthcare provider in Illinois, Advocate Healthcare. Wow. And so we, we developed the land, they partnered with us uh, and, and built the facility. And it's, and it's a, it is a state of the art medical mm. center, again, in the heart of the South side. It's not, you know, the, the, you know, there's nothing wrong with the free clinics. I'm not, not, not throwing shade there, but mm. it makes when we think about our community, we're thinking about something that is uh, a federally subsidized uh, clinic that is not doing primary care, mm. but it's also doing, you know, care for, you know, for people obviously who, who don't have access, mm. but this is also practicing preventive care. So mm. they send mm. out good. nurses into the community to let them know, Hey, you know, um, can I come by your, uh, big was meeting and let me let me let me show you um, mm -hmm. signs for a stroke you know because most of the time we, we end up going into the emergency room for our health care instead mm -hmm. of doing the preventive work so the medical center is 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 working on preventive care mm. which is really exciting so we're, we're yeah. trying to create a model what does yeah. what's the model from cradle to the grave if you want to create mm. a community mm. what, what do you need to do and you know church is kind of the heart uh, the, the library is another anchor right in our community, which is right down the street. And then a mile down, you have this 20, 27 acres that is next door to Chicago State University. Mm. It's become a predominantly African-American college. So we've got a college, a community, yeah. a church, and the Carter G. Woodson Library, all within a two and a half mile radius. And now this main artery known as 95th Street we want to develop that whole, that whole street and not mm. as gentrifying, but as Renaissance. And mm. we want to be able to create a model to say to everyone, this is what you can do in your neighborhood. This is what you can do in your community. This is how you build, um, you know, build community so that children thrive. So people are not getting shot. You, this is the long-term hardcore mm. work that you have to do. Mm. Wow. That's just amazing to hear about encouraging to hear about, I'm having a little juxtaposition in my mind. So just to give you a little bit of insight earlier, 
I guess a couple months ago, I was actually out in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I don't know if you know, but they opened a new museum out there on the 100-year anniversary mm-hmm. of the Tulsa Massacre. Yes. So to think about everything that happened there with Black Wall Street, everything that changed, and to put that in juxtaposition with everything you all are doing, it's just, I don't even know if I can put it into words, but just hearing, holding those two the together. Models, is, I mean, yeah. we're, we're history nerds here. Mm. So that's, you know, Tulsa is a model, but, mm. but Auburn Avenue, I mean, the mm. history of Auburn Avenue in Atlanta is, mm-hmm. there are these streets everywhere in the black community that mm. thrive. I mean, if you, if you go to New Orleans, if, mm-hmm. you, if you were to go to Jackson, if you went to Memphis, uh, I mean, every street, they were like the, this five block stretch, mm-hmm. minimum five blocks. I'm not talking about, you know, little tiny little stores. I'm talking about like thriving businesses, attorneys, doctors, restaurants, dry cleaners, uh, every kind of business you could kind of think of. In some places like in Tulsa, they had hotels. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it was it was it was amazing. Same thing with at, at, on Auburn Avenue in Atlanta. It, it had this history. Mm-hmm. We, we want to replicate that. Yeah. You know, that there was a model that 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 worked. It was the model that worked. And, and when you, when you build these institutions and um, you, you create the space that allow people to thrive. And it, it, we find out that home ownership plus jobs, plus churches that are engaged mm. reduces violence dramatically, then add gardens to the, uh, to, 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 to the, to the table, plus libraries and mm-hmm. schools, you then you the trend goes down even farther. And so that's what we're trying to do. And then it's not, it's not rocket science. Mm-hmm. If you want to change stuff, it's, yeah. we've been doing it for a long time. We know how to do it. We just need mm-hmm. to have uh, the, 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 the moral courage to be able to move. Yeah. Forward. yeah. So well said. No, I mean, just, Inspiring, I know for a lot of our listeners, especially as, we, as we've been hinting at the fact that this history is not readily taught. Mm. Many people might be hearing aspects of this for the first time, which I think is also an important and a huge step. Obviously, you all have done a wonderful job of that already in your community, but as much as this can be modeled and, and expanded, I think is so important. So again, you know, it's just really encouraging to hear about all that you're doing in the midst in the midst of everything, even as you opened up this conversation, in the midst of everything you're even experiencing at, in your pastoral role um, day to day. So, I mean, to me, it's just deeply encouraging to know what you all are about. It makes me want to uh, swing by at some point just to get a, even a first-hand glimpse or get connected with some of those, have you. Those, uh, those doctors, those women, Black women who are running things and doing so, so brilliantly. It's just, yeah, I'm, I'm speechless, but I'm talking a lot. It's a mixture of the combination of both coming out at once, but... Any last uh, words that you want to leave our listeners with in terms of either a word of encouragement or a word of challenge? I would say that you are birthed and born with the power of resilience and resistance. Just needs to be nurtured. Mm. Find spaces, find people who will pour into you and when they pour into you, make sure you pour into somebody else. There's mm-hmm. nothing more dangerous than a person who acts like a swamp instead of acting like a canal. Swamps have inlets with no outlet. And that's why swamp smelling things die. But canals are designed to release for those who are in need. 
And so be a canal when someone pours into you. That's all we're called to do. Just don't be a swamp. That's what America wants you to be. Amen to that. Well, again, Dr. Moss, just appreciate you taking the time just for everything that you shared, all the work that you all are doing in community together. So grateful and honored to be able to host you here today. Thank you again. Oh, it's my pleasure. And uh, we look forward to seeing you in, in Chicago sometime. Yeah, that would be wonderful. 